Good to see you all this morning. We are continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke, looking at what does it mean to be a servant. And this morning, we are going to examine the priorities of God's servants. What should be the priorities of those of us who are desiring to serve the Lord, want to serve the Lord, have a heart to serve the Lord? What is it that we should be you know, making sure uh, we're, we're growing in and that we're focused on as far as serving the Lord. One thing I want to point out before we get into the message this morning is this. Uh, not that they're not helpful, but the chapter divisions and verse divisions in our modern English Bibles were not in the original text, right? So a lot of times, you know, when you come to the end of a chapter and the beginning of another chapter, we sort of compartmentalize things. And I, I don't want us to especially do that this morning because what we talked about last week at the very beginning of the message sort of starts the thought and then it flows into chapter 11 because the first priority of God's servants that we want to look at this morning is spiritual connection with God to have spiritual connection with God. And we saw last week at the end of chapter 10 that Mary has chosen the best thing she could do, which was to sit at the feet of Jesus, to be in his presence, to be listening uh, from him, to be taught by him and all of that. And so that flows into chapter 11 where we learn that another part of our life that helps to keep us spiritually connected to God is our prayer life. And I just want you to look at this for just a moment. Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he stopped, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, if anyone wants to serve me, they must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. And what we are seeing is that Jesus, both in his life and with his lips, is trying to impart to his disciples, if you want to serve me, then these things need to be priorities in your life. And you'll notice here then, again, going from chapter 10, where Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, staying connected to her God, if you will, in fellowship, in communion, in intimacy, flows right into chapter 11 where Jesus is always showing his disciples by example that he's always talking to his father, that he's always staying connected to the father, that he's always in communication with the father. And one of the things we learn here both about being a servant and, and how God even uses us as his servants is that our faith is caught as much as it is taught. Now, Jesus is going to teach them, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, about prayer. But notice, first of all, it was simply that he was modeling it for them. He didn't come along to his disciples right away and say, guys, prayer needs to be a priority in your life, so let's get with it. Let's start praying. No, he didn't do that, did he? All he did was every day, multiple times during the day, where would his disciples find him? Where's Jesus? Oh, he's talking to the Father again. Jesus was praying. He was laying down a lifestyle that his disciples could follow. And first, before he started to teach them, he modeled it for them. He was an example. He was always praying, you see. In fact, you'll notice, even in that, 
that he doesn't go to his disciples saying, now I want to teach you about prayer. He waits until that fire, if you will, of prayer has been ignited in them and they come to him and say, we want to know more about this. Teach us. And you'll notice something interesting too. When the disciples come to Jesus, they don't ask him to teach us how to pray. Because many even Christians down through history have used this prayer that Jesus then began to pray as sort of a model for his disciples to be something that they just repeat and, and use in their life. And not that that's wrong to do, but Jesus wasn't about trying to give them a formula for prayer. Because prayer, just like worship, is to be from the heart, not from the head, you see. And too often in our worship and in our prayer life, it's more of a head thing than it is a heart thing. No, Jesus is simply giving them a, a pattern to go by, but he doesn't expect them to have to, to stick with every word and stuff. He's simply trying to outline for them, if you're going to pray like I pray, here's some of the things to be mindful of in your prayer. So first of all, Spiritual connection should be one of our priorities. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, praying, staying in constant communion and communication with the Lord. And then I love this, though. His disciples have seen what an effect this has on Jesus and how much Jesus prays. And so they come and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And I want to point this out because... I think sometimes, again, we, we miss something about even teaching and being a teacher. And some of you here, you're, you're teachers, uh, even in your profession. And, and you know this, that teaching is really more than just imparting instruction to a group of people, or at least it should be. From a biblical standpoint, from God's standpoint, being a teacher is creating an environment where other people may thrive if they want to. That's a good teacher, you see. And that's the kind of environment that Jesus created for his disciples. He was creating a, an environment where his followers could thrive if they wanted to. If they chose to, to follow his example and to follow his teaching, then they, they could rise to the occasion. Now, obviously, then that's up to us. You know, his followers, are, are we going to be teachable? Are we going to follow? Are we going to listen to what Jesus says? And are we going to follow his example? Or are we going to try to figure this out on our own or do our own thing? But Jesus was a good teacher. He was always creating an environment where other people could thrive if they so desired. And so here, Jesus isn't simply imparting instructions about prayer. He has already, through his example, created an environment where his disciples can thrive if they so want to talk to the Father just as Jesus talked to the Father. And so he says to them, Father, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. It starts with God first. And then he says, oh, but we also need to make sure that we are creating an environment where people realize that we do need God and we acknowledge that need and we rely and depend upon him for our daily bread, for the forgiveness of our sins, 
to forgive others of the sins that they've done against us and to not lead us into temptation, literally to protect and preserve us from the temptations around us. Then he says this. Suppose one of you has a friend, verse 5, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine has stopped here while on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Then he will reply from inside, don't bother me. The door's already shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though the man inside will not get up and give him anything he, because he is his friend, yet because of the first man's sheer persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. I, I want you to focus on that word persistence. Because that's really what Jesus is saying here. He says, now, here's another thing you disciples need to be reminded of as you communicate and as you stay connected to the Father and, and as you commune with the Father in prayer. You'll need to be persistent. Now, many then, down through since Jesus said these words, think that the reason Jesus is telling us to be persistent is because maybe God is reluctant to give things to us. That's not why Jesus is teaching persistence here. We know the Bible teaches us that my God will supply all our need according to his riches and glory. We know that the Bible teaches that God will withhold no good thing from his devoted followers. So if we interpret it that way, then it's contradicting other places in Scripture. Jesus is not saying be persistent in prayer as, as those who want to stay connected to God because somehow God is reluctant to give us good things or to, to not be a giving God. No one can outgive God. No one is more generous than God. He gave his one and only son. He gave it all. He gave his very best. So God is not reluctant to give. Nor are we to be persistent in prayer because we're trying to, in our time with God, change his mind about something or as we know because when we were that age we did the same thing as children to our parents we got to wear him down we just got to keep going to God until finally just sort of like the story God just gets tired of us coming to him over this and so finally God because God can't be manipulated like that and God doesn't need to be worn down. Again, if God really knows something is good for us, he's going to give it to us. The reason why Jesus is teaching his followers persistence in the spiritual priority of staying connected with God is because God needs time to get our heart to a place where we can receive the answer that he's going to give us. And God is using that time to shape our heart and to align our heart with his so that when his answer comes, we get it. We accept it. We receive it. We understand it more and all of that, you see. That's why Jesus says, stay connected to God. Because what's really at stake and why it's so important that we stay connected with God and that we be persistent in staying connected with God, especially in our prayer life, is because our view of God is at stake. Our view of God is at stake. In fact, that's why Jesus goes on, and I'm not going to read verse 9. We're going to come back to that at the end of the message. But pick it up in verse 10. He says, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Because what father among you, even earthly 
people. If your son asks for a fish, will he give him a snake instead of a fish? Of course not. It's absurd. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. That would, no way. It's not going to happen. If you then, although you are evil, compared to him, because he's holy, we're still sinful. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Basically, again, Jesus is saying, no one outgives the Lord. What is at stake is our view of God. And that's part of actually why even many Christians struggle in their prayer life. Why don't we pray more? Because we don't have a proper perspective or view of God. We think God holds out on us. We don't think God's got our best interests at heart. We don't really trust him. And so if we don't really have a high view of God and a good view of God and a proper view of God, we're not going to go to him and ask him for things and talk to him about things or whatever because, again, at, at the bottom line is we really don't trust him. We really don't believe what he has said about himself. We're still comparing him to earthly people like us. We brought him down to a level and, and Jesus is saying, God gave each of my followers and will give them one day the indwelling Holy Spirit. In other words, God is saying, I gave you me. I gave you my personal presence to dwell within you always. What more could I give you than myself? I give you me, God, every day to, to be in you and to go through life and everything with you. What more could I do besides that? I, I didn't give you an angel. I gave you God in the Holy Spirit. And so that's why Jesus here is saying all these things, you see. He's saying, first of all, at the end of chapter 10 with the story of Mary and Martha, and then bleeding into chapter 11 here, he's teaching his disciples about spiritual priorities of his servants. And the very first one is connection. Staying connected to God. I'm not, nor should I, tell you how to do that. But I am going to encourage you to do it in some way every day through worship, through prayer, through his word, through just being in his presence, sitting in his feet, at his feet like Mary. But in some way, you and I, if we're going to serve the Lord, we've got to stay connected to the Lord. Because again, our service has to be out of the overflow of our personal time and personal fellowship with the Lord. Otherwise, we will be drained very quickly. And our attitude will sink just like Mar Martha's did at the end of chapter 10. And we will not end up in a good place if we don't stay connected to our Lord through worship, through prayer, through his word, and through all those things. That's the first priority. The second one then, again, sort of then, again, it starts with that spiritual connection, but then it bleeds into the next priority, which is spiritual understanding. God not only wants us to hear what he wants us to hear, he wants us to understand what he wants us to understand. And this passage begins in verse 14 of chapter 11, where Je Jesus is demonstrating supernatural power over demonic forces. 
and he's casting out this demon. And some of the people in the crowds, the Bible says in verse 14, were amazed, but then some of them said, by the power of Beelzebul, or literally the power of Satan, is how you're doing this. And then Jesus goes into this even like logical discussion with these people saying, that doesn't even make sense. Why would Satan destroy his own kingdom? Why would Satan be casting out Satan? And if Satan is not behind this miracle, then clearly God is. God is here. Which is exactly what he says in verse 20. He says, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, which is a phrase you see throughout the Bible speaking about God's activity among men, then the kingdom of God has already overtaken you. I'm here. I'm God. But you don't understand it. In fact, your understanding is so warped that you are watching God at work you're watching God do a miracle. You're watching the supernatural ability and might and power of Almighty God, and yet you're attributing the work of God to the work of Satan. That's how messed up your understanding is. Then Jesus says this. When a strong man, verse 21, fully armed, guards his own palace, his possessions are safe. Why is Jesus teaching now about this or using this illustration in this context? Because he's trying to remind even his followers, his 12 disciples who are with him at this point, about the reality of spiritual warfare, which he has faced throughout his ministry. Where Jesus goes and where God is moving, the enemy rises up as it always does. And so he's saying, look, there's going to be conflict here between light and darkness, between good and evil, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. It's going to happen, my friends. Are we aware of it? Do we understand the battle that you and I are in every day and that the big picture is it's way more of a battle than just on a worldly perspective? There's light and darkness colliding here you see but then he says this but when a stronger man literally the one who is stronger attacks and conquers him which by the way is Jesus Jesus is always the stronger one right and nothing can defeat him he takes away the first man's armor on which the man relied and divides up his plunder literally when Jesus delivers people and when people are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to his kingdom, Jesus now uses those who were against him for his own service. We now become his servants. We go from being the enemies of God to being the servants of God. And then Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. There is no neutrality in spiritual warfare. Jesus draws the line because you and I can't remain neutral when it comes to Jesus. We're either on one side or the other. And Jesus wants us to have this understanding. There's no neutrality. There is spiritual warfare. And we need to, as God's people, understand what is coming at us that is of the devil and what is coming at us that is from God. 
That's why John says, as God's people, we should know how to test the spirits, to determine and to discern and perceive, is this coming from God or is this coming from Satan? Because there's only two sources of everything in the universe. It's either coming from the kingdom of darkness or it's coming from the kingdom of light. And you and I, as God's people, as God's servants, better be growing and understanding in, in our understanding of what's from God and what's not from God. Otherwise, we end up in really bad places like the people did when they were observing Jesus himself casting out a demon and yet attributing it to the power of Satan. We need to know what God is up to and what God is not up to. We need to be able to identify the finger of God and to see where is the finger of God and what God's activity and what God's doing and what God's not involved with to be the servants. Which leads me then to verse 24. Again, continuing on about the importance of understanding certain things. Jesus says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a person, it passes through waterless places, looking for rest but fi not finding any, and says, I will return to the home I left. And when it returns, it finds the house swept, clean, put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other more evil spirits, more evil even than itself, and they go and hang out there. And he says, oh, by the way, the last state of that person is worse than the first. What's Jesus want his followers to understand? That reformation is not transformation. And that we live in a world today that thinks the answer is reformation. I can somehow clean up my own life. I, I can tidy up things. I can do this on my own without God. And I can reform. And Jesus says for a while... It actually looks like it works. But then Jesus says, because it's not from the inside out, as we sung about, you know, we're going to sing about today, because it, it is not truly God transforming us from the, and changing our heart from the inside, and we're more concerned about externals, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, Jesus says, guess what? Then when that reformation is over because it can't be sustained humanly, he says, the, the person actually ends up worse off than they were before. Again, let's go back to physical. Because you all, and we, we can identify with this, that that's where, you know, these fad diets break down with people physically. Because they'll get on something that they cannot sustain. It's not a true lifestyle transformation. It's simply the next thing that comes along the pike, and they get on it, and they can, they can last for a while, but then guess what? The old habits start to creep back in, and many times people end up either worse off than they were before they started originally because it wasn't really transformation. It was reformation, you see. Our lives abhor a vacuum. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. And unless we fill our lives with God, we become spiritually vulnerable. That's why we need to understand, I need to fill my life up with God. Otherwise, we start filling our lives with all these other things because God did not create us to be vacuums of anything. God obviously created us to just be filled with him. And when we choose even as followers and servants not to be filled up with God, then we end up filling our lives with all these lesser things. And so Jesus is saying, be careful. 
And one of the priorities of my servants beyond spiritual connection needs to be spiritual understanding. Now, here's the cool thing, and this is why this all bleeds together, is that the more I stay connected to God, the more I sit at his feet like Mary, the more I pray, the more I worship him, the more I'm in his word, the more understanding I'm going to have. And the more desire I will have to be filled by him so that I do not end up filling my life up with other things that will never fulfill or satisfy me because only God can fulfill and satisfy the soul. Then this understanding leads to the next priority, spiritual vision, spiritual vision. Look at verse 29. As the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say, this generation is a wicked generation because it continually looks for a sign in spite of all that they have seen and heard. Now, I'm adding some things there, but that's why Jesus is reacting the way he is. And Jesus basically says, you're not going to be given any more signs except the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? Well, Jonah, as he was in the fish for three days and three nights, and then in a sense was resurrected, Jesus saying, that's the only sign you're going to get from now on is my resurrection because I have healed the sick. I, I have, you know, given sight to the blind. You have seen me give, you know, hearing to the deaf. I've literally raised the dead in front of you. I've given you evidence after. It's not that you lack the evidence. It's that you are one of these hard-hearted, stubborn people that no matter how much evidence God gives you, you still want more instead of believing in what you already have. And so Jesus says, no more signs. The only sign is going to be my resurrection. If me rising from the dead does not convince you of who I really am, then there can be no other sign. In fact, he goes on to say, you're just going to fall under greater judgment. In fact, he says in verse 32, the people of even Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Because of all the light you had compared to the light they had, and they repented of, with less light. You've been given so much light. God is here. God is amongst you. God is working. God's doing miracles. God's teaching you. And yet, no matter how much evidence, you keep wanting one more sign. So, Jesus then goes into this teaching in verse 33, where he says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it into a hidden place or under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who come in can see the light. What's Jesus saying? He's saying the point of this passage is that God's light is everywhere. But those spiritually blind can't see it. And Jesus, the light of the world, came into the world. He didn't hide his light. He was out there shining his light every day for three years so that people could see the light of God. The problem was not the lack of light. The problem was sight. That's what Jesus is saying here. No spiritual vision. Notice what he says in verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. Do you know it's the only organ of the body that allows light in? Is the eye. It's the only organ of the body that allows light from outside to come into our body. So that's why Jesus uses this. He's saying, so when your eye's healthy, when it can receive light, when it can take it in, your whole body is full of all the light that it needs because your eye's operating properly. But when it is diseased in some way, when it cannot take in the light that's out there, he says, then your body is full of darkness because that's the only place 
that light can come into your being. Therefore, verse 35, see to it that the light, and he's speaking now especially to these religious people who think they have light, they think they possess light. He says, see to it that the light you think you possess is not darkness. Because they were seeing the light of God, and yet they keep, kept wanting one more sign, God, one more miracle, then we'll believe. Jesus goes on to say, if then your whole body is full of light with no part in the dark, it will be as full of light as when the light of a lamp shines on you. Jesus is saying when our spiritual eyes are opened by faith, we begin to see things that we were unable to see before. And Jesus wants to fill us with his light. Amen. How do we get spiritual vision? How do we increase our spiritual vision? By faith. Because what's the Bible say? We as God's followers are not to walk by what? Sight, physical sight. We are to walk by faith, trusting in God's character, in God's nature, in God's word. So we're not to make determinations as God's followers and God's servants based upon what we physically see. Boy, am I tempted to go off at this point on that point. Can I just say, especially at this time, but I, I'm refraining because God's Spirit's not given me permission to do that. We are to walk every day not by what we see around us, but what God has said to us. Spiritual vision. Spiritual vision. And spiritual vision only comes by faith. You see, the more you and I trust in the Lord, the more we put our faith in God and in what he has said, the more our spiritual eyes will be opened up and we will start to see things much more clearly than we've ever seen them before. And we will see things out there in our world and spiritually that we never were able to see before because our eyes were opened. Because as God's servants... Jesus is teaching here to his own followers. These need to be the priorities of your life if you want to serve me. Spiritual connection. You need to hear the things that God wants you to hear as we pray and spend time with him. We need to understand the things God wants us to understand, spiritual understanding, and we need to see the things that God wants us to see. And can I say that starts with seeing him above everything else. Amen. To keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Well, one more priority here. At the end of the chapter, verse 37 and on, and I'm not going to take time this morning to go down through all of this, but the last priority is spiritual reality. Spiritual reality. Why do I label it that way or call it that? Because Jesus here is confronting false religion. What is false religion? False religion is all about the externals instead of the internals, or as I like to say, the eternals. You see, Jesus was in the midst of a lot of religion in his day, just as we are in the midst of a lot of religion today. 
But religion is all about external things, not the reality of what's really on the inside. And let me say this at this point, because I don't want to forget it. Even though you hear the phrase today, well, I'm just going to fake it till I make it. That's not true ever spiritually. Because if you and I are faking it, if we're just pretending, if we're just putting on a, a show, if we're just trying when we get around our fellow believers or certain people to, to portray something, because we know that's what's expected or what, that's what they desire or what they want or even what God wants, but there's no reality there. You and I can't sustain that. There's no way. It's got to come from that it's really there because here's why, and I will tie this into what, because when crisis comes, when trials come, when storms come, the veneer that's, that's, that's there to cover things up will be stripped away. And what's really there, what, what kind of faith is really there is going to show up at crisis time. You really know where people are during these times. You really see the faith or the lack of faith in God's people when these things happen because our faith in God, if it's not strong enough for the storms and trials and challenges and obstacles and viruses of this life, then what good is it? So Jesus was invited by a Pharisee, verse 37, to have a meal with him. Jesus went in and took his place at the table. By the way, Jesus never turned down an invitation. Jesus loves to be invited in. The Pharisee was astonished. He saw that Jesus did not first wash his hands before the meal. I, I had to laugh. I thought out of all Sundays that this was going to land. <laughs> and here it is. Now, let me say this. Jesus was not being unhygienic here. This was not just a cleanly thing. This was a ceremonial washing that the religious leaders and others had added to the word of God in their religion in order to appear spiritual to those around them, an external. It didn't mean anything, but it was a show. Hey, we're, we're going through all this ceremonial washing. Jesus didn't buy into any of that. The Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, notice, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. You make sure in your life that everything looks good to those around you, that you wear these really fancy schmancy robes and you got all the ornaments of, of religion and you wear all the, 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 the ornamentation and all of this that makes you look really super spiritual above all, everyone else. You've got it all. And you go through all these different things to make yourself look so holy and spiritual, but he says you are full of greed and wickedness inside. Amen. Notice Jesus calls them out. He says, you're foolish because you're wasting your time. 
because God doesn't care about externals. He cares about our heart. And if God has our heart and we are allowing God to work on us from the inside out, then that's the priority of God's servants. Amen. Not to be focused on the externals, but the internals, the eternals. He says, didn't the one who made the outside make the inside as well? You disregard your spirit. You, 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 you fill up your life making sure you've got everything physically, materially, and temporally, but you are not feeding your spirit. You're starving yourself. And can I just say, this is what's so sad today is so many even Christians and those who want to be servants of God, they make sure that they have everything in their life physically and temporally and materially, but they're starving themselves spiritually. There's nothing there on the inside. And Jesus says, give, verse 41, from your heart to those in need and then everything will be clean from you. In other words, start with your heart because that's where God wants to start. Not from the outside in. Why? Because that goes back to the previous thing in understanding. That's reformation. That's religion. That's not a relationship with God. And then he goes on to say this, and I'm just going to read a couple of these. He says, woe to you Pharisees, you give a tenth of your mint, your rue, every herb, yet you neglect justice and love for God. But you should have done these things without neglecting the others. Woe to you, you love the best seats in the synagogues and the elaborate greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, you're like unmarked graves. People walk over them without realizing it. Why? Because all you care about is appearance, not reality, but a priority of God's servants is not just spiritual connection and spiritual understanding and spiritual vision. It's spiritual reality. It's being transparent. It's being real. And if ever we needed Christians today in the church to be real and transparent and stop trying to portray and pretend and, and put on and all of that, it's now. We need real, real servants, real people of God who take away the veneer and it's really there, you see. Well, in closing this morning, I want to take you back to the one verse that I skipped over intentionally, back to verse 9. Because this, to me, is one of the most important verses that Jesus ever spoke about. He says, so, based upon this spiritual connection you allowing God to shape your heart and to align your heart with his that you, that you should be going through? He says, so I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And by the way, the words ask, seek, and knock are all continuous. In other words, Jesus isn't saying one time just ask. No, he's saying always be asking. Always, as God's servants, be seeking. Always be knocking on the door of heaven. Why? Because, again, our spiritual prayers and our spiritual connection to God is more than just acknowledging our need, our reliance upon God. And, and that's certainly part of it. We pray because we understand we can't do this on our own. We need the Lord. And we are relying and depending upon him. It's, but it's more than that. It, and it's even more than reaching out and asking for help. And, and that's part of the issue too, as many times even as Christians. 
We acknowledge that we need help, but we're too embarrassed to ask others for help. Even God. God never wants his servants to feel that way. God understands, oh, I know you need help more than you know you need help. And I know you need my help, but I'm not going to force myself upon your life. I'm going to wait to be invited. And you know, I'll accept every invitation you give me. I'll be there as soon as you invite, as soon as you ask, but I'm going to wait for you to ask. Because if you want to do it your way, and if you want to go it alone, that's your choice. But you and I as God's children never have to go it alone. Amen. Never. And so that's part of it as well. But here's the other thing that many times we miss in this verse. And that is that the words that Jesus is using is not only teaching us about the acknowledgement of our need before God and reaching out to God and especially asking him for help. Beyond that, these words speak to us about the passion of our heart. Why do I say that? Well, because even with each other, the things that you and I end up engaging, talking about with each other are the things that are most important to us. The things that's really on our hearts and minds. The things that we want to communicate with each other about. And the same thing is true with God. The things that we will, in a sense, bombard the throne of God with are the things that we really care about, we're really passionate about. So let me ask us all this question this morning based upon verse 9 because this leads to the very last priority in a sense and that's our spiritual passion. Because our view of God is associated with our vitality for God. What is it that we really want God to do? Have you thought about that lately? And here's why. If you really want God to do something, then you will be every day asking, seeking, and knocking. Why? Because it's something you're passionate about. You can't wait to talk to God about it. You can't wait to commune with him and, and talk it over with him. It's something you want to bring to God all the time. And maybe it's seasonal. Maybe once you receive an answer or whatever from God, then you'll go on to something else. But there should always be things in our heart as servants of God that we are so passionate about, that we want God to do so bad that we can't stop talking to him about it. Here's the sad thing. There are many Christians, they don't talk to God about much of anything because they don't really have anything that they're that passionate about that they are continually asking him continually seeking him about and continually knocking on his door about. And why is that? Because if we don't have that vitality for God that keeps growing in our life through spiritual connection and spiritual understanding and spiritual vision and spiritual reality, we, we will definitely become apathetic. We will become sort of, eh, doesn't really matter. And we won't have this burn within us to ask and seek and knock. Even though Jesus says, if you do that, 
He says, everyone who asks will receive. The one who seeks finds. The one now, it's not a carte blanche like anything we go to the Lord for and ask as long as, again, we're persistent and all that. He's going to give us whatever we want. No. No, the Bible principle is this. Delight yourself in the Lord and then he will what? Give you and I the desires of our heart. The problem is, what's the desires of our heart? And do they line up with his desires? Are we spending enough time on the priorities as God's servants to really have him shape our heart and align our heart with him so that as we ask, as we seek, as we knock, we see these things happening because what is the passion of our heart is also the passion of God's heart. So again, I ask us this question this morning as we close. What is it that you really want God to do? And do you have the faith to be able to start asking, seeking, and knocking at his door for it. I will share with you one thing, that as your pastor, I ask, seek, and knock on God's door for every day, and that's revival. I want to see true revival happen in the church. I want to see a moving of God maybe unlike any moving of God up to this point in history. I want to see God bring revival. It's something I talk to God about all the time because that's what I really want God to do. That's one. What is it that you really want God to do? I hope through the message this morning, you will not only maybe be refocused on the priorities of God's servants, but that you will be encouraged to go to your heavenly Father and ask him and seek and knock. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's stand and pray. God, I pray today that we will have a burning passion, God, in our life that drives us to you every day to ask you, our Heavenly Father, to seek you, our Heavenly Father, and to knock upon your door, our Heavenly Father, because you will withhold no good thing from your people. You've given us your Son. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've not held back anything, Lord, from us. But we just need to have the faith and trust in you that we can come to you and that, Lord, there are things that we feel so strongly about that we're just going to keep talking to you about and seeking you about, God. Because we know that they're important to you, and because they're important to you, they're important to us too. God, may we be a people that truly delight ourselves in you. May we be a people that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that and trusting you that all those other things, they'll be added. They'll be at it. God, do a work in your people here today. But as we're going to sing, do it from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.